Hey there, it's Ben. If you've been kind of keeping up on Heroes, you're going to love this week. Or hate it. Two get questions in for the discussion episode. You have until the next Tales episode drops to get questions in for the Heroes discussion episode. The next Tales episode is going to be a panel discussion with a grand amount of Star Wars RPG personalities. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a huge amount of people on talking about Solo, what they thought of it, and how RPG it felt, how we are processing it as an RPG group, and just some thought. I want to give a quick shout out to Christian and Ron for backing us on Patreon. You can be like them by going to patreon.com slash theheidianway. Thank you, and now on to the show. bomb is ticking on the table, and it's up to me to defuse it. I got this. I open up the casing and... Why are there so many wires? Which one do I cut? The teal or the aquamarine? Coming to the dining hall, I see Risa over at the table, with a large manual open and holograms floating above her, carefully tiptoeing over to not startle her. I step on a spoon, causing a loud ting to reverberate throughout the cavernous room. Welcome to an intense tale from the Hydean Way, where your host, Ben Yendel... And Risa D. This is an episode essentially about how to communicate difficulty to your players. The inciting incident was Risa. Actually, it started off <laughs> coming out of the day that we're recording this was the day that the first episode with you dropped. There's a little description in there about one of the most infuriating situations that a player in a D20 can really ever hit. <laughs> and I've hit this too of... The GM not properly communicating what a difficulty is. And you roll something, you've got high in the stat, and like you fail with a natural 19. Like The only way you can get this is getting that natural 20 and get the magic of natural 20. As a player, it's one of the most disheartening things. Definitely. <laughs> well, and it's compounded because half the GMs seem to want to keep this number from you. Yeah, that's something that I see in games where players and GMs are thinking of it as players against GMs, is when I see a lot of the GMs hiding everything to like try and trick them into trying something incredibly difficult and saying, well, you already said you were going to do it, so now you have to do it, kind of a thing. <laughs> I've noticed that. Uh-huh. Oh, and astrogation rules always fall into that. Yeah. Okay, most players don't want to fail. Though, with the narrative system, it's a lot easier to mitigate a failure or have the failure be interesting. It isn't just, well, no, you don't do that. There's something to it. So there's something that is interesting and cool to it. Yeah. Like, the difficulty in the narrative dice system is not hidden. The reason for it might be hidden. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... The actual difficulty, the player has a clue of what they're going up against. You could be pulling out all the stops and saying, okay, it's a five red, four setback roll. And to even have access to it, you have to flip a destiny point to make this roll. Yeah. Which, off the top of my head, I think is about the most difficult that theoretically they say is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Such as taming a rampaging Ronto in 
my favorite modular encounter. Even then, if the player is going to roll against that, they know that they're going to be rolling against something that is virtually impossible. It's something that I like about the narrative system because it feels like you're not running around in the dark. It makes you feel more confident and you want to try more things as well because you at least know your chances. <laughs> Even if it's like I'm looking at someone, I was like, I want to know if they're going to lie to me because I have great discipline. And I'm told, okay, we'll roll against two reds, two purples. I'm going to be like, well, now I really need to know why. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. need to know if they're lying, right? Sometimes the difficulty of the check makes you want to do it even more. Even if it's like, well, <laughs> here goes. It's a 50-50 chance. At least you know that it's a pretty much a 50-50 chance. Okay, yes. Technically, you've got a 5% chance of succeeding on a role where only a natural 20 will do it. And there's also chances in the narrative dice system where you're rolling against like three red, two purple with your two green and you can (laughs) still do it. And it's at that point where, in all seriousness, every time I've seen that happen with a narrative system, it has been a cooler result where they have succeeded than rolling that nat 20. Yeah. It's always cooler to me. Because of the kind of dice results you can get. I think my favorite has always been when we had a player. He was playing a Togruta who had power armor because we were terrible and we were were very, very mean to the GM in ways we were looking for things. So he somehow had power armor. And his brawn was buffed up to, I think it was six or something like, it was ridiculous. And he is rolling a melee check. And so, Mm -hmm. no, it was brawl. He was rolling brawl in this power armor. And brawl is only going to be, it was like, it was just the average difficulty. And all of his positive dice were blank. Oh! So it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It can be hilarious. He didn't even care that he failed because it was just like we were all taking pictures of it (laughs) because of how many blank dice there were. At least it's always interesting, no matter what you roll. I think that helps. Even knowing it's an average check, you can still fail it. Anyone can fail it. Anyone can pass it. Sometimes the odds are in your favor or not, but eh, what are we in the... Yeah. Like, one of the things that comes from that, though, is there is a point where you can say yes and no to a role. In the narrative system, the dice pool is a collaboration between two people. Or more. Like, you can have people assisting and that sort of stuff as well, depending. At its absolute base, you have the GM giving out the negative dice and the player giving out the positive dice, or vice versa. At the time of the role, it's a agreement. Yeah. This roll's going to happen, and we're going to see what's at the other end. You can always walk away from the roll. Which is easier, I feel, as a player than as the GM. A player goes, I want to roll this. And then the GM goes, okay, well, it's going to be three red dice and a purple. And then the player goes, I don't want to roll this. (laughs) (laughs) You have that moment. I feel like as a GM, it's harder because the player wants to roll something. And no matter how difficult you make it to discourage them from rolling something, it becomes hard to tell them, no, you can't roll it. And the question is, when, when is a roll too ridiculous to allow it to happen? And I know where that is. I know what that one is. <laughs> I wasn't jamming. I was player in this one. And we were actually in Sith space because it, weird stuff was happening. 
someone mentioned we in some documents we found it mentioned Mustafar. And so our incredibly smart human replicant droid, she goes, I want to do an astrogation check to find out where Mustafar is. And we went, no. <laughs> the players all went, no, you wouldn't know that. But our GM goes, fine, if you want to make an impossible check, flip that destiny point to be evil and be able to make the check. She goes, fine, I will. And she succeeded. Nice. Somehow. And there's that moment where our GM goes, I shouldn't have let her make the check. Because why would she know? And that's that moment of, okay, we know where that threshold is now of where we shouldn't try and make the check because it can succeed. Because why would she know where Mustafar is? There's no reason. And any of that, where she came from, there's no reason she should know where that is. And you got to kind of find that, I feel. I got to agree with that. Well, making it so that it's character versus player. Yeah. Or at least that's what I initially grasp from that is sure a player is most likely going to know where Mustafar is. Oh yeah, definitely. But your character in, you know, a couple years BBY, you're not going to know anything about it. Or at best, you know, that's where the Jedi go to die. But she wasn't even a Jedi character was the other thing. It was just one of those things where it was really funny and cool that she succeeded at the impossible check. Mm -hmm. But as soon as it happened, we were all like, whoa. <laughs> what happens now? <laughs> I feel like I have issues with saying no to players about mm. checks, especially when I set a difficulty for something and they will try to talk me around the difficulty. <laughs> and so then it's like, I shouldn't have to explain the difficulty to you and why it's as difficult as it is. Because sometimes I do get to be behind my GM curtain. Otherwise, I know you're going to act out of character. <laughs> Oh, that's a good point. Because if I say, okay, well, you're rolling against two reds and two purples because you're rolling cool against her charm, they're going to try and talk me into rolling against another stat. Uh... So I'm just going to say, you need to roll cool against two reds, two purple, and I'm not going to say anything else about it. That's the roll. Sometimes I feel like that has to happen to stop people from metagaming. I do that, too. I I absolutely do that, too. Oh, I definitely do that. I'm the worst player. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm very analytical as a player. Like, it's terrible. Like, what I'm meaning is that give out that kind of a role. Is, yeah. okay, yeah, you're, you're going up against two red and a purple. Because, because. The thing I've gotten into doing on Heroes, and it's, some of it makes it through, some of it's just too wordy, is... I'll give out the entire explanation for why, if it's relevant. It's like, you're getting an upgrade for this, you're getting an upgrade for that, you're getting a setback because of this, and you're getting a setback because of that. And it's this base difficulty. Go. Yeah. In some cases, that's very warranted. Because, well, like, there's a lot of things going on. But it's one of those things of, if you're going up against a negotiation check, if you're trying to negotiate with someone, there's a couple different skills that you could be going up against, and they could have talents that upgrade things. Just like the GM realistically is not going to know what their players' characters are. I mean, they're definitely not going to know their players' characters anywhere near as well as their players. Yeah. There's no reason for the players to know exactly what the character is for the NPCs either. I never tell them what talents or anything any of my adversaries have or anything like that. 
because otherwise they will send up different people against it <laughs> to try and sidestep them. When I'm making social checks, I never explain. I'm just saying <laughs> roll against this. But if they're like trying to hack into something or they're trying to literally open a lock, like skullduggery at its finest of just trying to <laughs> pick a lock, I'm like, okay, well, it's a pretty good lock, so it's going to be a hard base. I'm going to give you yep. a setback because you don't have any lock picks. I'm going to mm -hmm. give you another setback because it is dark and you do not have any flashlights. I'll completely explain it out like that. Yeah. Or if they're hacking into a system or something like that. I'll and you're going to get a setback because they have an antivirus system. <laughs> not really, but still. <laughs> okay, here's one question for you. So you've got a base difficulty. Like sometimes it's you're going up against someone's charm and... They've got three presents and two charm. Yeah, I just made a rail roll. <laughs> In a social situation, most players that I've encountered get that they're going up against a player, so they have an attribute in ranks. So the base of it, it's harder to argue against. It's like, okay, well, it's kind of obvious that it's a opposed rule. Mm -hmm. We're not sure what it's going against, but it's obviously opposed. It's harder to argue down, like, some of the upgrades. They'll try to argue for uh, upgrades of their own, though. But that's fine. I'm okay with them trying to argue with me on extra positive dice if they can give me a reason Yep. Um, for, like, a boost. Instead of just saying, well, he's going to help me. I'll be like, well, how is, how yes. <laughs> is yes. that going to work? Because, no, he can't just boost you. If, or that was the best thing of when I was playing. I mentioned in this, the last episode that I was playing Amira Luca for a while. Mm -hmm. And I had people being like, oh, well, Risa, can you boost me for this computer's check? And I'll be like, <laughs> she can't see. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, she can't boost you. That's brilliant. I partially based that character off of Toph from Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> That's perfect. So, And there were a, a lot of good moments like that of, uh, hey, hey, uh, Naomi, what's that? I don't know. It sounds like a data pad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that kind of thing is if you can explain to me why you have a boost die for that, I might give it to you. But I don't let them, unless you have a talent to do something, you don't get to change my dice that I'm giving you. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but I find that the harder I make a check, the more willing the players are to try and scrounge for one of those boosts. Yeah. Either a boost or they'll try and figure out a way of getting an upgrade or something. My favorite role of one purple, one red, one setback, especially on Heroes as we're recording, close to the end of Act 4, that role is almost nothing to them. Yeah. Oh no, we might get a despair. Woo! Uh, and then I roll my three yellow and a blue and a green, and I just crush it. I feel like for that, once you've been playing with <laughs> characters for long enough that they're getting high enough XP to have those kinds of roles, I have started tailoring. Like, I'm keeping tabs on what kind of ranks my players have in things, so I can tailor things specifically for them. Because now, at this point, since all my players have figured out what they want is a four in something, a one in something, and twos and everything else, maybe a three in something else. So now that I know they're doing that with all of their characters, I'm doing it with all of my characters. Hmm. Everyone they come up against has a four in something. They don't know what it is. 
<laughs> so I had two NPCs that they were trying to stop them from fighting um, in two different locations, but they were having a feud. One of them was mm. high presence, low willpower. And then the other one was high willpower, low presence. So one of them could be coerced and the other one could not be. Mm-hmm. And they don't know which one is which. So they have someone who's high presence. They have someone who's in the own, their own party. So they're like, do we try and charm or do we try and coerce? And I was like, I don't know. Why don't you try? <laughs> in asking that meta question, in my opinion, you answered perfectly. The question then becomes from me as a observer is, how do you communicate that to them? Just running into the sort of blank black box of, well, how do I get this thing to open? And having to just throw rolls at it, it almost feels as unfair as just not saying anything. I am usually incredibly transparent, in my opinion, about how I act out the characters, at least in this example that I just gave. One of the characters had no tact. She had zero tact. The moment that my players walked into the cafe she owns, she goes, no, you, you're out. Points at one of them. Nope, you're out. You're out of here. And everyone's like, what? And she's just, you're, you're out of here. And everyone's like, oh, okay, well, we need to talk to her. So you, you just get out of here. So obviously she's not a very, she's not a very pleasant person. Mm-hmm. You know, the moment you met her, you knew that. So there's the clue. But I'm still not going to tell them. <laughs> and again, you sort of answer exactly the way I was hoping you would, is, yeah, you don't have to explicitly say, roll this, or roll against this. This is for someone you can coerce versus, like, yeah. I love having people attempt to coerce stormtroopers. It's amazing to I me. know. It's so cute. <laughs> no. Well, maybe one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've... I've done it. <laughs> we, I once, I once got, was it one or two triumphs in a coercion role against uh-huh. a stormtrooper sergeant? And we adopted him. He ended up just becoming an, and like on our base, an NPC. <laughs> so, I can absolutely see that. And the one-off roles, absolutely. Like, just go with it. It's, again, if you're allowing the role, accept the results. But it's one of those things of generally, especially if you're looking at like a group of stormtroopers, like a, <laughs> small squad of say six mm-hmm. nine times out of ten it's going to be astoundingly difficult for you yeah. to coerce them because they have discipline and six of them turns into like four yellows yeah. it's amazing <laughs> oh, it's or great. four red so it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah and your your player character is not going to have that much in their coercion Unless they've only built their characters specifically for coercion, haven't spent any XP on anything else, and they have scathing tirade. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. And even then. Even then. It's still 50-50, maybe. This kind of ties into like what we were sort of discussing last episode with characters, but any of the situations where you're putting your player characters into, you need to be describing things. You need to inhabit the scene. Because otherwise it is just they have no clue how to come at it. Because, or who to send at the problem, unless they have some sort of idea of what the situation is. Because if I just said, you guys meet a shop owner, and you need to get them to listen to you. How do you do it? There's nothing there for them to work with, because then who's going to go, I guess I can charm them? And someone else goes, well, I have more coercion than charm. It's like, okay, you can do it. But then they're going up against the wrong thing. 
But if I give them cues or clues even about what the situation is by using their demeanor or just describing them, anything like that, they're going to have to make a safe guess instead of a complete leap into the dark. To use a related example of what I do is 13 stormtroopers, or the basic unit I use is 13 stormtroopers, one with a pauldron. Anytime I've seen a clone trooper, anytime I've seen a stormtrooper, if any varieties, if they've got a like big pauldron, <laughs> they're a sergeant. I very rarely say that they have a sergeant with them, but everyone knows, oh, look, that one stormtrooper is different. Let's kill him. <laughs> In some ways, being a GM is a giant, giant game of charades. Yeah. Where you're trying to describe a situation in as much detail as possible to get the players to interact with it in the way that you think makes sense. You're using maps, you're using pictures, you're using accents, whatever you can to communicate to your players what's actually going on. Okay, I, I just had a flash of two of the silliest things I've seen in movies. And somehow they're actually related. One is the portion of Galaxy Quest where they're trying to get to the matter. Yeah. I can't remember what it actually is. The actual MacGuffin where they need to push a button and stop the self-destruct. They're having to get through this room that has a needlessly complex... Um, a set of mashers coming down from the ceiling and then coming from the sides and it's all timed out perfectly because it was it's Galaxy Quest so it was weird it was pointless but it was also amazingly difficult especially if they were going to try and do it on their own which then they get help and the role would have had a reduced difficulty because of the help and all that sort of fun stuff like use your resources like as you sort of describe the whole thing of what is going on in this room or what's going on in this hallway to illustrate why it's so difficult. You're describing the difficulty almost as you're placing the dice in front of your players. If it's a static thing like a door, like a trap of some variety like that, you can describe for the player, if you've got a pre-written difficulty, try and come up with a reason why each of those upgrades are there, why those setbacks are there. You may not actually end up giving them to the players, but by having those sort of bullet points on the scene as a whole, you can then describe it better and communicate to your players better what the scene is. Yeah, definitely. Because you're both working, like you said earlier, we're both working to make that role happen. So we have to do our part so that it's not such a, blind experience, I feel, because otherwise it's just frustrating sometimes. Because if I just say it's going to be if they try to coerce a group of stormtroopers and I just go, okay, it's just going to be this many dice. They're going to look at me like, what? And if I just go, yeah, it's just that many dice. They're not going to have as much fun as I say, well, stormtroopers are very, you know, they've had to go through a lot of training to get to where they are. Do you really think that they would not be disciplined? <laughs> so it's just the difference between, yep, yep, it's just roll three reds, it's fine. And, well, I mean, why do you think? Do you think they woke up every morning at the crack of dawn to shine their laminate armor and they're not going to be disciplined? Just something in there. One thing with difficulty that I'm kind of wanting to ask, and 
this one seems to be a bit more of a hot button, well, I guess at this point sort of a cold button thing, but <laughs> it's been like five years for the system, apparently. <sighs> what is your philosophy for giving, for flipping that destiny point and upgrading a check for the players? I do it um, if they're cocky. <laughs> Honestly, if I have a lot of points that they are not able to use, I will upgrade checks I know they're going to do well at for that chance, mostly because I'm trying to get the points back into play for them to use. I don't mm. use my story or destiny points very often for hugely plot relevant things. I like them to be available for my players to do fun things with because they're going to find something way more interesting to do with it than I am. I know a lot of people use them to be like, I'm going to flip a bunch of points and a, an entire group of stormtroopers comes around the corner. You guys are caught in the act of whatever you're doing. I don't like doing that as much because sometimes I feel like it invalidates their roles that they've made to get to where they are. Mm. So I keep the story points and I use them instead to upgrade something. So I can even just be like, it's going to be an average check, but let's make this more fun. Let's give that little chance for a, a despair there because you get some really funny things if you succeed a check, but get a despair. So that's mm -hmm. why I use that. I rarely use it to make them not succeed at the check. I don't like doing that as much because unless it's really, really, really going to get in the way of the plot if they succeed, and if so, I'd ask them to not make the check. Mm -hmm. I'm more likely to just be like, no, before I just try and throw an impossible check at them to make to discourage them. That makes so much sense. I just like them having those points because they can then do, you know, boring things like upgrading their own checks or... They can do interesting things like, uh, no, I totally had my, my breath, <laughs> you know, my breath mask with me, you know, that kind of thing. I just want them to be able to have them. This is absolutely meta. And it came to me as you were talking about it. I'm envisioning that you'd be much more likely to upgrade a purple to a red than upgrade and give them an extra purple. Is that right? Yes. I don't like increasing difficulty. I like upgrading checks. Increasing difficulty, the more dice you roll, the more chances you are to either succeed or fail. So the more dice I give you, the harder it is to succeed. If I upgrade your check, instead, I'm giving you more likely to get threats and despairs. So it's not as much increasing your you being able to fail at something. I'm increasing the more fun stuff. Um, so what can I do with threat? I can do more narrative things with it. What can yep. I do with the despair? <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. But if I'm just throwing more dice at them, it's not... It, it, what I'm just doing is I'm trying to set them up to fail instead, is how it feels. Just looking at the probability. I 100% agree with, like, that philosophy. I may do hard checks. I may throw people up against, like, essentially hard or daunting checks but like three or four dice as a base. That may be the base, but I still like having reds on the roll because otherwise, where else do you get the fun stuff? Exactly. I guess I'm just so used to, the player characters are so high experienced that putting them up against a small squad of stormtroopers is a joke. Yeah. Oh, they get just murdered or murdered, yeah. as we say it. 
Yes, stormtroopers hit hard. Yes, they do actually a fair amount of damage. Yes, they can pierce most armors. But if they don't go first, there are vanishingly few of those stormtroopers left. Like, minions are entirely glass cannons. Nemesis are there to play with, and then you're expanding out with, like, the retinue and that sort of stuff. Mm. We had been talking about, there's a point where you don't roll at the high end. Like, where it's too impossible to roll, or it's plot relevant, no, you can't do this. That is also a viable thing, but it's a little less nice. Yeah. I mean, you never want to just say no. (laughs) You gotta have a reason to it. But there's another role there that... Do you ever do simple roles? Yes. Really? I like simple roles because, for one, rolling dice is fun. People love to roll dice. It is so much fun. So the more dice people get to roll, the more fun they're having. Like, honestly, if we go a session where no one's really rolling anything, they get bored. Mm. So I do like simple roles. And I also like competitive roles between my players okay so i'll have them if they're having an argument and they want to negotiate with each other because they're playing in character because they're great like that but they're playing in character so it's making things difficult instead of being the aggressor having to roll against the other person because when you do that the person who's rolling the positive dice has an inherent boost they are more likely to succeed you're right so What I do is I have them both roll. So if they're both rolling, they want to be negotiating. I have them both roll a simple negotiation check. And whoever has more success wins the check. And then tiebreakers are advantage. I have them do that. And it's more fun because then you also aren't having players rolling against each other and, you know, someone losing and getting like failing. And it's not as fun that way. And I'm just all about wanting everyone to have fun while being doing it in a way that's actually still making the story progress. So we have had people just have arguments for like 10 minutes at the table in character. And I'm like, okay, we got it. We got to do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. And also simple checks of... Obviously, all vigilance checks I have is simple unless someone is like super incapacitated and then I'll give them setback. But I never give anyone difficulty for that. Also, just small things. If they're trying to do something that's mostly narrative, sometimes I'll give them a simple check to do it. Okay. Because sometimes it's like, they're going to do it, but let's see how well they do it. Because if you want to be doing something mostly narrative of like creating a a toy for a child and you want to use mechanics or something, right? And this is just as a, I'm just doing this. I'll be like, okay, sure. You have all that stuff with you. Make a simple mechanics check to make that together to see how well it is, to see how well it goes over with the kid. Okay, you just sold me on simple checks. I normally (laughs) don't use them worth anything. And the reason for that is I, I don't have it clear in my head how the difference between simple checks and not rolling because it's so simple. The example I'd sort of bring up is driving. Mm. If you're going from point A to point B on any sort of known road, like even if it's just sort of a gravel road following a deer path, there's no reason why someone shouldn't be able to follow that. I don't tend to make people make checks for getting between scenes. And to me, driving is getting between scenes. (laughs) Good point. Anything transitory like that... It's then done with a, you know, a lovely star wipe. Damn you, it does. And we're at the next place. We don't have to make it. However, 
if there's something plot relevant happening in the driving, even on a nice, well lit, you know, highway, Mm -hmm. right? Let's say everyone's discussing things while we're driving and everyone else is having a time. And I'm like, well, what's the driver doing? And the driver will, oh, I'm, I I mean, I guess I'm driving. I was like, oh, well, you've been contributing a lot to the conversation. (laughs) So can you make, can you make a simple driving check for me? Just because they were not paying attention, so they should have to. No, absolutely. Because I got to tell you that if I'm having a full conversation while I'm driving, <laughs> I might end up not turning where I need to go and stuff like that. So yeah. even even an easy, I might even just make that an easy check if they've been super involved in the discussion while they're supposed to be driving. Yeah, like if they're being sort of the peanut gallery that uh- Kind of go with a simple, but anything more involved than that, I could definitely go with an easy. Yeah. Yeah, you've sold me on simple checks. (laughs) The other thing that, especially like in the narrative system that I get hesitant on is you can still fail them because the only way to succeed is you have to have a success. You have to have at least that sort of one positive thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't get that, you still fail. And on some of these roles, you can get like triumphs, and well triumph gets an automatic success but i've seen roles where it's like eight advantage and And no success so they actually do fail it or Mm -hmm. they succeed with a cost or something like that which also makes more sense that's a reason why i've always sort of been hesitant to simple checks but you've really sort of sold me on them i like them especially since if they don't get the success when people i get failures i will make it bad you know, you didn't do this, you've made this situation worse in doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you just make a wash, so you don't have any success and you don't have any failures, then I'll be like, you didn't do what you wanted to do, but you didn't ruin the situation either. So if I make you make a simple driving check and you fail it, so you just get no success, then I'm going to be like, oh, you missed your exit. You weren't paying attention. You've lost the person you followed or something like that but it's not like you hit a tree. That I like. I have my my group that I've just gotten into the system right now, and I've actually been okay. having them make a lot of simple checks and very easy checks, even though their characters can technically do the other checks, like higher checks. Like their characters have four intellect or something like that. So I know that they'll be able to complete it, but I'm trying to break them into the system in being like how we can deal with the different results as well. So I'm having them make simple checks on doing things to, I think I had one of them drive to the other side of the compound on like the little Mars dune buggy. They succeeded with like, I think it was easy. I did a check and it was like three um, advantage. And I was like, well, what do you want to do with the advantage? Kind of ease them into it. Okay. And they go, I want to make it like a do a cool flip. I was like, sure. You made it do a cool (laughs) flip. That's what you used your advantage on. I love it. So I think that's also another good way for beginning players to get a handle on what they can do with their advantage. Because I'm giving them things they can spend before I start introducing the things I can spend against them. That is a cool way of doing it. Now, I've loved discussing this with you on account of, I love the sort of axioms that you're using are fairly close to the ones I'm using. Like upgrading difficulty instead of increasing because, well, that uh, if you're just increasing, that seems like jerk move. Yeah. <laughs> you're a GM. Just say the difficulty you want, but then 
a few of my own like little foibles that I was trying to add even before getting into Heroes was if I flip a Destiny point, first off I'm in Star Wars, so sometimes it is just as simple as well, I don't think the Force is with you on this one. <laughs> That's as close to I'm just I'm flipping this because I want it to be harder. But it's also you're doing this and because of how you're doing it, I will flip this. Yeah. And try and make it so that it feels like it's part of the scene instead of just some weird arbitrary rock is <laughs> waiting to fall and kill everyone. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about how you communicate difficulty to people. It's it's in the scene. Creating that dice pool has got to be in the scene. However we're doing it. Like, okay, it's pretty easy to drive this rover from one side of the compound to the other. You're still making a check because who knows, you might get into this gully that and not be able to get out or something slightly embarrassing like that. <laughs> okay, I guess this is sort of my final bit of advice for the using the difficulties of the narrative system is the narrative system works best where the exact reason for the difficulty might not be known, but the general reason for the difficulty is known. And this goes even for something like, say, a fear check. Yeah. I know, like, some people don't like using it because it's stealing away from their character, or my character would never feel this way because they're a battle-hardened soldier. Well, okay, so they're a berserker, and then they go completely mindless. Any situation, a person can find something to be fearful, but it has to come from the situation. Yeah. For me, it can't just be, all right, you're walking down this hallway and just randomly roll dexterity. <laughs> like roll your coordination or athletics and you're going up against this difficulty everyone will do it but it's like the only time i've ever done that is roll vigilance yeah i i do that <laughs> like roll vigilance is one of those things of okay yeah we're getting into a combat or structured time something yeah and then you build into the scene it's like oh yeah you actually were vigilant <laughs> so you notice <laughs> I've had my fun. Risa, what would you say is a final piece of advice to give the GMs and players listening in? My my biggest piece of advice is, as the GM, you shouldn't be rooting for your players to fail. For your story to work, you should be planning enough, or at least planning around them succeeding at checks. Plan your difficulties accordingly so you're not just throwing angry dice at people, I feel is... <laughs> They do look angry. Purple and red are angry colors. Yellow and green are friendly. So we want—we don't want to throw angry dice at people just for the sake of trying to get them to fail. If you do know where we can get plush difficulty and challenge dice, let me know. I Oh, I don't think I've shared this since I've... I crocheted one and literally sewed all the signs on it. That's amazing. I We use it for when people don't roll well. We throw it at them. And I want to make... <laughs> A challenge die as well. Proficiency. I also want to make a challenge die to throw at people when they get despairs. That one will have to be smaller. <laughs> this one is too big. <laughs> that is awesome. So, yes. <laughs> that is that is some kind of amazing. I've had Matu in Heroes. <laughs> no, the guy does it twice. He tries to coerce, has nothing to him. I give him a few boosts off of things that are going on around him. Like, maybe give him an upgrade or two and try and coerce this slaver. And naturally, the guy's rolling too green. And the jerk succeeds. 
And then he does it with the Zygerian prince at the end of Act 3. Like, <laughs> what the heck? Spoilers. <laughs> yep. Any given roll, a player can succeed and a player can fail. If you go into a roll not considering the other option, that's the one that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you have a hacker who's super, super good at computers and you give them an easy computers check, they will find a way to fail it. I breathe a sigh of relief after figuring out to cut the mint green wire. I wipe the sweat from my brow as I just lean my head on the table in exhaustion. You did great, Risa. But I've got to wonder what kind of silly person would plant a bomb in the calf dispenser. Find out in the next tale from The Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at The Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. And I'm at Cookie Kit. We're at TheHydeanWay.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. Our podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can find more episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us. Drop us a holocom at tales at com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Heidi and Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Heidi and Way. Or you can give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash the Heidi and Way. 